Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning, I want to share with you about examining ourselves, not examining your neighbor, not examining your friends or relatives, but examining ourselves. Is that all right? Our opening text will be 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Here the Apostle Paul is uh, telling the Corinthian church there to examine themselves. To examine means to in take an inspection of yourself, like a detailed inspection of yourself to determine your spiritual condition. Um, anybody here ever get your car inspected? And when you get your car inspected, what do they do? They have a safety check that they go through, right? And they know what they're doing. They look for specific things to be certain that your car is uh, drivable in the state of Pennsylvania. Now, I came from Ohio. When I first came here from Ohio, I had no idea what an inspection was. Is there an inspection in Ohio anymore? Or at all? Was there ever? Mm -mm. Uh, there are more bumpers duct taped together and more rust spots in cars I mean, in, in Ohio because you never had to have them inspected. Uh, but when I came to Pennsylvania, it took me about six months after mine expired to realize that's what you were supposed to do. And guess how I found out? I got picked up. I said, what's the problem, officer? He said, you're out of inspection. I said, what are you talking about? Bought the car and there was an inspection. There was a sticker on it already. I had no idea. Of course, I, they didn't know I didn't. I lived in Ohio, but um, the point is, they did a safety inspection to make sure that the car was safe to drive in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, what's Paul saying? He is saying to do a spiritual inventory, an assessment of yourself, detailed to locate yourself, to find out where you're at spiritually. Why? Because. No one should want to be deceived about their spiritual condition, right? Absolutely. We want to know where we're at spiritually. Well, look at the book of Psalms 139 because David added something to this. And I think this is important for us to see. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What he's doing, he is saying, look, I need your assistance. I want you to help me because you know me better than I know myself. Do you believe that? You think God knows you better than you know yourself? Well, if you don't, just take the advice of Peter. Because Peter told the Lord, when all forsake you, I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will never deny you. All these others, oh, they might, because they're not made up of the right stuff, but I will never forsake you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus said to Peter, before the cock crows in the morning, you will deny me three times, right? Before the rooster is heard, you will deny me. Peter didn't believe that. He didn't even know his own heart. He didn't know his own self. 
And what happened? Exactly what Jesus said. Now remember the importance of this. You know, when we say deny, you might take it lightly. But Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Isn't that what he said? So you realize that when Jesus said, I don't know him, I don't know him, he was saying, I completely detached myself from him, is what he was saying. Why do you think Jesus had him three times publicly say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And if you recall, after the resurrection, he said to his disciples, he said, or he said to the, the women, go tell my disciples and Peter. He wanted to, to have him be pointed out that, look, he denied me. I'm going to restore him. I'm going to forgive him. But he denied me three times just for his own life. Something to think about. So he knows us a whole lot better than we know ourselves. And you know what? During this time of fasting and prayer, this is what I want us all to do. When we come together in this time of 21 days of fasting and prayer, does that mean I, don't have to, I can't eat for 21 days? No, we're not saying that. But take some time during this 21-day period where you're just going to set apart yourself to seek the face of God, deny yourself a lunch here or a supper there or whatever. Join together with us and do what? First of all, a personal self-examination. Where am I at? Locate myself spiritually. Then secondly, for the whole church body. You know, it's always good to have a good time of cleansing once in a while. Wouldn't you agree to that? Amen. And point out some things that maybe I need to adjust or maybe I need to correct in my life. How many of you know that Jesus is our standard? Scripture says in 1 John 2, 6, if you say you abide in him, then you should walk even as he walked. Whoa. You look at that statement and what do you say to yourself? He's my example. He's my standard. If I'm supposed to walk even as he walked, I got a lot of work to do. Wouldn't you say you do too? We all do, don't we? You know, I, I believe that we should never criticize anybody else or judge anybody else. Look in the mirror first and you'll see. Look in the book of Revelation chapter 3 as we point these things out. You can see how they come together to make us really realize our need to be so humble before God. Really humble before God. We're not talking about not knowing who you are in Christ or walking in your righteousness. But we're talking about really evaluating where we're at because he's our standard and we want to grow up in him in all things. And we should all be progressing that way. But locate where we're at. Look at this. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods. And have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment. That thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eye with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Notice the contrast between the way they viewed themselves and the way Jesus viewed them. Did you see that? The big contrast between the way they saw themselves and the way Jesus saw them. They saw themselves as, hey, we're a great church. We're prosperous. 
we got businessmen working here in our assembly of believers. I mean, it couldn't be better. My goodness, we're having a wonderful time. We're prosperous. We're victorious. We're living life to the full, right? And Jesus says, you don't know that you're wretched, you're blind, you're naked. Wow. What an assessment he made. This is why we appeal to God, because we could be blinded to our own condition. Man, Lord, I want to know some things I need to clean up in my life so I could better please you. And not only as an individual, but as a church as well. And that's exactly what he was saying. And the irony of it is this, that Jesus pointed out three things to them. He gave them the remedy. You, you know, by the way, this is the only church that Jesus said nothing good about. Of all the seven churches, this is the only one he said nothing good about. But he gave them the remedy. He said, look, you need gold that comes from me. You need garments that come from me. You need eye salve that I can only give. Why did he point out those three things? Because those were the three major exports of them, of the people in Laodicea. So he says, look, gold, you think you're rich because of the money that you have? You're not rich because of the money that you have. Peter said it this way. Your faith is a lot of a lot more value than fine gold tried by fire. Didn't he? Yeah. He said, come to me and get some faith. And that's what you need. Secondly, he said, you're wealthy because of your garments that you sell. And they were noted for, and this was their export, black wool. He said, you need white, not black. Come to me for purity of heart. And I'll clothe you with my righteousness. I'll clothe you with my holiness. You buy that from me, and then you'll be clothed. And then finally, ISAB was something that they marketed and exported. Why? Because it, it helped certain conditions of the eyes. He said, your eyes can't see. You need the anointing that only I can give to open up your eyes to the truth. See, then he said, you'll see this. If you walk in faith... If you're clothed with my righteousness, and if your eyes are anointed and open to see your true condition, and then you repent, is what he was saying, then you know what? You're going to be okay. You'll be all right. And that's what he had asked them to do. But the point I'm making is, wow, what a contrast. How they saw themselves and how he saw them. Big difference, wouldn't you say? That's why it's important to Hey, Lord, help me to see the things that I can't see about myself. Okay, let's look at another scripture in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. This is from the message translation of the Bible. And man, when I, hit it, when I read it, it really hit me square between the eyes. <clears throat> see what it does for you. We know what Jesus said here, but from the message, it really, really points it out. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Wow. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this I-know-better-than-you mentality again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your own part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Would you say wow to that one? What's he trying to say to the people? So, but in the King James, it talks about just the, like a little splinter remote 
when you've got a telephone pole and a beam in your own eye? The remedy is this. He said, look, humble yourself to such a degree that you realize and recognize we don't see our own faults. It's very difficult for us to see our own shortcomings, faults, and failures. And so, therefore, humble yourself before God. Pull that thing up before you criticize somebody else or be judgmental about somebody else. And if we all did this, where would any of us be? We wouldn't be judging anybody, would we? We wouldn't be criticizing anybody, would we? No, we wouldn't. And so, as this year progresses, I want to point out some of these things that will help all of us as individuals and as a church body to really emulate the very life of Christ in the heart of God. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. That was about being critical and about being judgmental about other people. But now here he's talking about planning, planning without God. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful, plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Hmm. Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There I will bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, Jesus said that a man's life is not, does not consist of the things that he owns or the things that he possesses. And here's a fella who's got his own plan. And that's what Jesus is addressing. He's got his own plan. He's going to... Written it. Nothing, nothing wrong with planning, but Jesus is addressing planning apart from God. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it my way. And all I can see is this. Since I've got such a fruitful ground, I'm going to pull down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to store up enough so that I can spend years here just eating, drinking, and being merry. I mean, didn't that, wouldn't that be wonderful? You could be so provided for that way. But Jesus said, that's foolish. Really, that is a foolish way to think. Why? Because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And he said, he's a foolish man because tonight his life is required. Now, whether it's before he builds the barns or even after he builds the barns and then fills the barns, he said, now tonight your, your life will be required. And so since you're gone, who's going to enjoy the fruit of your labor? Everybody else that you provided it for, not for yourself. And so he was talking about consider yourself and how you think. It's okay to plan ahead, but don't plan ahead without God. See, this guy had no intention of funding the kingdom with his profit. He was going to eat, drink, and be merry. He didn't say, I can give to the poor. He didn't say, I can provide for the missionary and their endeavors. He didn't say, I can advance the kingdom of God or put more money in the synagogue or help build the, the, the things of God up. No, there was no consideration whatsoever. God was not a part of the equation. See, this was an attitude that existed within this individual that Jesus wanted to point out and said, look, this isn't the right way to think or believe. Now, why is this in the Bible if it's not to instruct us? 
and help us see our need to see to it that in all of our planning, let's make certain that we've consulted with God and we've got the mind of God and we do it the way God wants us to do it. Now, James picks up on that. Look at James chapter uh, 4 and verse 13. This is from the Amplified Bible. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and spend a year there. Notice the length of time. A year there and carry on our business and make money. Yet you do not know the least thing about what might happen tomorrow. What is the nature of your life? You are really but a wisp of vapor, a puff of smoke, a mist that is visible for a little while and then disappears into thin air. You ought instead to say, if the Lord is willing, we shall live and we shall do this or that thing. But as it is, you boast falsely in your presumption and your self-conceit. All such boasting is wrong. So any person who knows what is right to do, but does not do it to him, it is sin. So here we see James, the brother of our Lord, the half-brother of our Lord, if you will, addressing the same subject, planning ahead without God, without getting the mind of God as to what he would have them to do. He's got the time established. We're going to go away for one year, spend one year there, and we are going to make a lot of money. And then once we're done with that year of our work, then we're going to probably go somewhere else and do whatever. But James says, look, your life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while, then it vanishes away. And all you're concerned about is your endeavors, what you're going to do to make your money, to get wealthy, et cetera, et cetera. But you have no consideration whatsoever for what God wants you to do with your life. I recall this when I go way back 42 years ago when uh, I just took a, we had an RV, we, took, we rented this RV and took this family from Youngstown, Ohio to Atlanta, Georgia to go to a Kenneth Hagin All Crusades faith meeting. And we got everybody loaded up and we were just saved and excited about doing this, this big convention center. It was very electric. It was powerful. You know, we took them all down there, this 15 and a half hour drive or whatever. And, and when I was there, he was advertising Rainbow Bible Training Center at the time. I think it's Rainbow Bible College now, but Rainbow Bible Training Center. And just like everybody else, they passed them out. When you gave your offering, they gave you one of these little pamphlets that basically... Uh, revealed to us what the school was all about. And he explained a little bit about how God spoke to him about starting this school. And so I took it, left, drove back home, stuck it in the visor of my car, went off to work, no consideration whatsoever. And then as I continued going to work, I worked in the mill at the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company running a mill crane. We made huge seamless pipe for the oil industry. And there I was just driving back and forth, minding my own business. But I had this dissatisfaction. Now, I'm at the peak of my Christian experience right now because I am so excited, so enthusiastic about getting filled with the Holy Ghost and seeing the power of God manifest and sharing the truth of God's word with people in a Bible study at my dad's place 
just excited as could possibly be. But then when I got in my car and I'm driving off to work, I had this sense of dissatisfaction. And I was like, what's the matter with me? Lord, what's the matter with me? This kept going on for days. Then one day I looked up and I saw the brochure and I pulled it out. I said, are you trying to tell me to go to this Bible school? Are you? Well, I was confident that he wasn't. Because you know what I said to him? Well, now, Lord, if you wanted me to do this, there's a lot of strings you've got to pull. There's a lot of things that have to happen for me to do this. So I'll just real you know, sarcastically, like, I'll send it in. I know they won't accept me. I send it in. It comes back. You're accepted as a student at Rainbow Bible Training Center in the fall session. I'm like, okay, I still got them. You see, if you want that, you've got to sell this house for me. Because you see, I just, I got all this going on here. We got this house, this new house and everything. House was sold in one day. 24 hours. I called a real estate agent. She comes over to my house. And she says, how can I help you? This is a brand new development. This is a brand new house. Believe it or not, that brand new house and that brand new development cost thirty-four nine. Thirty-four nine. Wouldn't you love to buy a new house that way today? Thirty-four nine. She goes, This is a brand new development. What's going on? I says, Well, do you want me to be honest with you, ma'am? And she said, Yes. I said, um, I just became a born again Christian and I want to sell this house so I can pay my tithes. She looked at me. She came from a Baptist background. She goes, I've never heard of anything like that. That's why you want to sell the house? I said, yeah, because if I, my income right now is just, you know, it's all tied up in my mortgage and cars and insurances and all that. I says, I've read in a Bible where it says that, you know, give the Lord unto the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of your increase. And so I want to give to support the work of God. I got to sell this house to do that. She said, okay. 24 hours it was sold. So I sold a house and got into another house. And this house was a nicer house than the house that I was in. And again, I'm telling the Lord, you know, if you want me to go to school here, I got to sell this house. This house, I don't know, this, this beats all strategy when it comes to real estate sales. This house was sold before it got on the market. Because um, the team that came over to the house... One of the workers bought it. I'm thinking, dear Lord, I'm running out of excuses. What am I going to do next? So we sell that house, and selling that house meant I sold it so fast I had to move into an apartment. I'm in this apartment thinking, what am I doing? I'm downsizing so I could travel to Oklahoma. It might have been around the world as far as I was concerned because I never left Youngstown, Ohio. So I did all this. See, if I was doing my planning, my planning would have stayed at the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company running the mill crane because I had security there. I had insurances there. I had everything I needed there and a pregnant wife. So as far as I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, what happens? He tells me, to buy a huge theater organ. 
I'm downsizing, not upsizing. I'm downsizing. Lord, are you serious? Yeah. I stored all my furniture in this place, at this place, and I purchased this enormous theater organ that no one plays in our family. <sighs> Take it all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It just sits there. It literally just sits there. I'm going to school, I'm working, etc., etc. It just sits there. And then when it's time for us to leave, see, my son was born there at St. John's Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when he was born there, I had no insurance because I gave up my job. And the Lord speaks to me when I told him, I don't want to leave here in debt. He said, sell the organ. How many of you know that God knows better than we do? And he knows us better than we know ourselves. Because, you see, if I had that money in cash, because I sold everything to go down there, if I'd have had all that in cash, it would have been gone. It would have been gone. Just for daily living expenses. I said, sell it. So I sold it. Put it one day in a penny saver, like in, you know, thousands of advertisements there for things. And this sweet elderly, now that I'm 70, elderly young lady <laughs> came over and said, I want that. I'm going to buy that. I thought, really? After she wrote out the check and everything, and she said, um, yeah, I want to buy that. I said, can I ask you why you're buying this? And she said, oh, this is for my granddaughter. She hasn't had any lessons yet, but I'm buying it for her. Who does that? Seriously? She said, yeah. So she writes out a check for the thing, and I looked at the check. It was enough to go to the hospital and pay the whole bill. Completely paid off the bill. And then we made provisions to come back home. I can't even begin to imagine what my life would be like if I would have said, Lord, I think I'll just stay here in Youngstown. I don't really want to give up my good job. I don't want to travel to Tulsa, Oklahoma and spend a year there. I don't want to go through all this hassle and everything. Now, I think about it on this side. I'm thinking, didn't God know that from Youngstown to Midland is a straight shot? Youngstown to Tulsa to Midland is not. It's a thousand miles that way and a thousand miles back. I was that close. You see, we can't figure these things out, can we? We never will. But I know this, if I didn't obey God when I did, I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I'd be. I don't know what job I'd have. All I know is this, I didn't plan without God. And as hard as it was to leave my family, to leave my job, my boss came up to me and begged me to stay. You have to understand this. Craneman operators in the mill are not popular people. They're like tax collectors in the Bible. Why? Because your life is in, their life is in your hands. You're dealing with heavy equipment and all that. And if you're not skilled and gifted in order to be able to do a good job at that, you could take a person's life in a heartbeat. The stuff that I picked up, thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds, 
I mean, it would actually pull. You could see the, the crane coming down. This, the, the high mill was so big, so heavy, that with this enormous crane, it would just go inch up, an inch at a time. That's how heavy it was. Another lift would go like that, but this one, just like that. And you've got two guys standing up on top of there, and if that thing swings the wrong way, they're gone. So he came up to me and just said, we don't want you to leave. We want you to have this job. As a matter of fact, go, go to school and come back. I said, sir, I appreciate that so much, but I will never be, ever be back here ever again. Never. And I haven't been. But it wasn't long after that that the mill closed down, just like the mills around here closed down. So where would my job have been then had I stayed and been stubborn to say, I'm staying here? So God has a plan. God has a design for all of our lives. And it's important that we humble ourselves enough to seek his face and just say, okay, what do you want me to do? Because if I look at it in a natural, it's the best thing for me to do to stay right here and be cared for. It's a security, safety, a new house that I always want to live on this street. I mean, everything was in perfect order. And, of course, coming from an Italian background with all your family, my mom and dad didn't want me to leave and, and all that. And I thought, I can't, I can't think about not having my mom's spaghetti and meatballs for a while. <laughs> Anyhow, look in the book of uh, Proverbs here. There's three things he, he points out. He said, look, don't boast. Don't boast about who you are and what you have and what you can do. Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Don't, don't just so, you know, arrogantly think that I'm going to be alive tomorrow. Unless, of course, we're not going to rule out unless you're walking with God and doing his will. You've got an advantage then. But he said, look, don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And he says, the first thing he says, don't boast, James tells these people. Look at the next verse in Psalm 39 and verse 4. <clears throat> Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Wow. Are we frail? Absolutely. Every single one of us. He should admonish all of us to say, look, look at who you are and where would you be without God? Look, being at the right place at the right time with the right heart doing the right thing is where we all need to be. The right place with the right heart at the right time doing the right thing. That's called success. And as, as Paul even said, it doesn't matter whether you're a bond or whether you're free. If you're where God wants you to be, that's called success. Doing what God wants you to do, that's called success. So God wants us to appreciate every single day of our lives, realizing that, look, as James said, it's but a vapor that appears for a little while, boom, then it vanishes away. And remember the vapor? Did you see that little bit of a vapor that goes up on top of your pan when you're boiling water? Where does it go? There's a visible part. There's an invisible part of our lives. The visible part is here, and it's short-lived. And then the invisible is forever. It's what we do here that will determine how we experience life hereafter. And what's he trying to say? I want you to value every day. I want you to value every moment. You know what my commitment is for 2022? That I learn to more appreciate every moment I'm alive. Every breath that I breathe. 
every acquaintance that I have, that I more value all the things that so easily we take for granted if our eyes aren't open. Appreciate your family. Appreciate your friends. Really appreciate the people that God has surrounded you with. But more than anything, appreciate that God gave us another day to live, to move, to have our being, to breathe, and to enjoy life. It is so easy to be down, especially in these days that we're living in right now. And I realize a lot of people are challenged right now with COVID and, and flus and everything else that's going on. But you know what? Jesus doesn't change. God's plan doesn't change. His will doesn't change. We're still more than conquerors through Him that loves us. No matter what we're going through in this life. Amen? And number two, after He says to them, don't boast about tomorrow, appreciate and value every moment that you're alive. Secondly, trust God. Look at James 4.15, and this is in the message translation. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the Master wills, it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. Did you get that? If the Master wills it, and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. Do you know that Paul mastered this? Look at these verses I have here in Acts 18.21. Paul mastered this. Instead of saying, I'm going to do this tomorrow, I'm going to do that. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. He always had the will of God in the forefront of his mind. Now, I want to come back and be with you if God will. If it's in his plan for my life, I'll be back. And I'll share with you. Look at the next one. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 19. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. Notice once again, he always incorporates the will of God in everything that he does. Instead of just spouting out, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Wait a minute. Get the mind of God. Let's move in the will of God. Let's move with the mind of God. Look at the next one. And that's in the chapter 16 and verse 7 of 1 Corinthians. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. What a walk that he had with God that wherever he went, whatever he did, he wanted to be certain that he had the mind of God and that he would do the will of God. And so what he is saying is this, trust God for every moment. Trust God for every decision. Trust God to show you exactly what course of action you should take. And again, I look back on my life and I start to think about, what if I never did answer that call? What if I didn't do it? How many of you sometimes during this season, we call it the holiday season, I, I guess, but really it's Christmas and New Year's, right? Ever watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life? And you get a picture painted of what it was like with him being alive or if he had never been born. And exactly you see what, what took place. 
And then his attitude towards it while he was alive and, and doing what he was doing, he was so disturbed and so upset, finally got to the point of, of being frustrated because he couldn't do what he wanted to do with his life, George Bailey, you know, to do what he wanted to do with his own life, and et cetera, et cetera. And finally, when his, his eyes were open to see what life would have been like without him being alive and the course of action that would have been taking place and that the people that he knew wouldn't even know him and all that, it kind of makes you think a little bit about things like that, doesn't it? What if that person hadn't been born? I'll tell you something else. It hits me right square between the eyes. Is how many of these children that have been aborted that never had a chance to be what God wanted them to be in society because they were denied that. Isn't that sad? I don't know what this does to you, but sometimes have you seen the commercial on the polar bears? Adopt a polar bear? I have nothing against polar bears. But I'm sitting there thinking, but what about the children that are aborted every single day? You have no regard for these human lives that are so dear, so precious, so valuable that Jesus shed his blood for them. Isn't that sad? It's okay, they become extinct, but not the polar bears. Wow. And finally, number three, live humbly in obedience to God. Live humbly. Look at James chapter 4, 16 and 17 again. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is a sin for a, the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. So God wants us to trust him. God wants us to look to him for the course of action that we take. He wants us to let him order our steps, the steps of our lives. And make certain that we're following his program, his plan for our lives. Sometimes we make decisions based on emotional feelings that are maybe legitimate feelings, but they're really not warranted to, to lead and direct us and guide us through life. I'm sure we've acted in some cases out of anger. And maybe in some cases out of pity. But we do certain things based on what? Sometimes feelings and emotions. If I went by my feelings and emotions, I would have never left Youngstown, Ohio. Never would have done that. And if I wouldn't have done that, I have no idea where my life would be. You know, but um, by doing so, God directed me to do what I'm doing right here today. And it's good to know that you can wake up being in the will of God for your life. Look at um, James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. See, instead of submitting their will to God and letting God direct them and order them, they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be master of our lives. We're going to be in control of our lives. We're going to do things our way. Well, here, but he gives more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And notice this, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, wait a minute. Let's put that into perspective here. Sometimes we think we're just resisting him because he's trying to put a cold on us or he's trying to do this. No, He's talking about your life. James is talking about decisions that these people were making to walk away from God, whether we realize that or not. If you go back to the beginning of the book in James chapter 1, he's talking to these people that are scattered abroad that were Christian. They were Jews that became Christians. They were Messianic Jews. And as a result, they were scattered because of persecution that was taking place. And many of them are going to different places and different cities saying, we're going to be here, we're going to stay there, whatever. And God was on the back burner. 
And I, partly you can understand how these people were so, so challenged because of the persecution. I mean, imagine that, having to flee from where you live because of the persecution. See, we don't understand that, do we? If you're a Jew and you accept Christ and now you're excommunicated from the synagogue and so on and your family is going to turn you over and they're going to kill you, you flee. And that's what they did. They would go to different places, go to different cities. We're going to stay here for a while. We're going to go there for a while. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And God is saying, James is saying to them, hold on. Stop it. God will take care of you. You've got to get his mind for your life. You can't make your decisions just based on the persecution that you're experiencing right now. You need to seek the face of God to determine what he wants for you and what course of action you should take. And so in this upcoming year, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Spending some time in the beginning of this month of January just to say, you know what, Lord? I understand that Jesus is coming soon. I realize he can come in our lifetime. We're not going to get into that at this point. Um, there are those that believe since 1948, Israel became a nation. If you give a, if you give a generation to 70 and 80 years, and you can be talking about what? 2018 to 2028 that he could be here? Think about that. So here's what James is telling these people. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil who's putting thoughts in your mind that you're going to do it your own way. Don't you walk away from God just because you're being persecuted? Besides, in the first chapter, he says, God's not the one who's behind it. He's not behind your persecution. He's not behind anything that you're going through right now. As a matter of fact, he says, don't err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. And there's no changing with him. No, no, no. What's happening to you does not come from God. But what's happening to you is persecution coming your way because you're serving God. So don't walk away from the God that you serve. Seek his face. Seek his will. Humble yourself and say, I submit myself to your will every day of my life. Now, how do I, how do I evaluate myself? Well, we're going to have a drive-through inspection. <laughs> and we're going to have a love meter. We're going to have a faith meter. We're going to have a Holy Ghost meter. We're going to have a forgiveness meter. And, and all that. And you drive in, and we plug you in, and we find, okay, you need, a, you need to work on your, your love walk over here a little bit. And over here, you need to work on um, forgiving people and not being critical or judgmental. And over here, you need to work on this. Wouldn't that be great if we had one of those things you can just say, oh, just plug it right on in. And there, there I am. I'm exposed. <laughs> it's been a long week. Just forgive me here. But th you know what I'm talking about. And the thing is this. We evaluate ourselves. And we go to God and say, help me evaluate myself. Lord, I want to do a spiritual inventory. I want to do a spiritual assessment of myself. And I need your help. Show me where I can tune up over here, over there. Have my words been as they should be? Promoting faith in your word? Or have my words been spoken out against myself and others? Help me to better understand what I need to do so I can be more like Jesus in the fruit that I bear. Remember Jesus said you're going to know them by their fruit? Is my fruit bearing as it ought to be? Am I walking with you as you want me to walk? 
Am I supporting your work like you want me to support it? Am I taking my place to be a productive, fruit-bearing branch in the vine and carrying out your will for my life? Do I have assets and abilities that I can use to promote your work? Am I using them to your honor and to your glory? What is it that I can do for you that could be a blessing? You see, remember the, the talents? The one fellow that took his talent and hid it and the Lord wasn't pleased with him? He said, no, that's not what I want you to do. We all have something that we could use to honor and glorify God with, right? The last thing that I would ever think that I would be doing is what I'm doing right now, speaking in front of people. Never what I've done. That You've heard my testimony. I walked away from college because I did not like giving a public speech. And I said I would never do it again. So God got a hold of me and just said, yes, you are. I said, oh. Submit to the will of God. Amen. Conclusion. Think about this. And all we can see it happening so, so speedily. Every single day, we see people departing from this realm of life. Our life is that quick dash between the birth and date of death. That little dash in the middle. Whether it's 50 years, 100 years. Betty White didn't make her 100th birthday, did she? So close, so close, almost, January 17th, 99 years of age, so close, but she didn't. But you know what? What's a hundred years to eternity? Is it anything? It's, it's like that. Like James said, it's just like a puff of smoke, a vapor. It appears it's gone. But what are we doing in that time? God says, I want you to do my will. I want you to appreciate and value every moment that you're alive. Every breath that you take. I want you to start seeing your family, those that are around you, with different eyes. Don't let the devil make you see them in a different light, in a dark light. Don't do that. Don't make him deceive you into thinking that this person is no good or that person's against me or whatever. You choose to live your life with the eyes that He gives you. He said, let me anoint your eyes with this eye salve. You know, when your eyes and my eyes are anointed with the eye salve of God's love, do you know the difference it makes? When we see people as He sees people, when we value people as He values people, does that mean people are perfect? Absolutely not. No one's perfect. But when you start seeing a person as valuable, as precious, worthy of the blood of Jesus. It gives you a whole different perspective when it comes to people. And yes, there's a lot of people that are hard to get along with because our personalities clash and we're all different. But you know what? That's why we walk by what? Faith, not by what? Sight. If we walk by what we see, hear, feel, taste, smell, I'll tell you what, we all be doomed. But God wants us to walk with these new anointed eyes. So what is the true gold? faith that's tried by fire what's the true garment the true it's not the black wool he washes you whiter than snow and what's the true eye salve it's not that natural stuff it's man open the eyes of my heart lord that i can see you and i can see people as you see them let's all stand together before the lord and